If you guys want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 15, that's where we will be uh, really for the entirety of tonight. John chapter 15. While you're heading there, if we can do just a little bit of recap like I like to do every week just to make sure we get the juices flowing, we're, we're thinking about uh, where we've been, where we're going and all those things. Let's start real quick with how have we defined our created identity? Talk to me. How have we just defined that? First of all, that we are... <laughs> we're going to do this every week until you get it. So you are created by who? It wasn't that funny. (laughs) You were created by God. You were created in the image of God. You were created dependent on God. You were created accountable to God. And you were created for the glory of God. So that's been kind of our working definition of what you were created to be and to do. Your created identity. And then we moved into... Really last week talking about how the fall has just messed everything up. How we're unable to live for our created identity. We're unable to fulfill the purpose that God has originally created us for. But then we move from there into the beauty of what the gospel does in our lives. That it offers us the the opportunity to, to live out that identity that we've been created for. But more importantly than that, it makes us right with God. It restores our relationship with the creator of the universe. So that's where we've been. And and tonight we're going to talk about a specific aspect uh, of our identity as Christians. This is where Jesus is kind of defining for the people around him what it looks like to be a believer. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be in Christ. This is what it looks like if you're going to claim to be in me and you're going to claim that I'm living in you. So what I'm going to start with, I'm just going to start reading uh, the text. We're going to be in John 15, 1 through 11. I'm going to just read through it. Then I'm going to pray uh, and then we'll go to work. Does that sound good? Let's try that again. Does that sound good? Thank you. I'm going to fall asleep if you fall asleep. So it'd be really bad if I'm on video here and you guys are asleep and I'm just leaning on my, my... Music stand, I will fall asleep because I am tired. All right, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like branches and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Pray with me, guys. God, I pray and I ask that you would communicate clearly to us tonight. That you would help us to see your word as alive, as living and active, as the only thing that can actually expose our hearts and and show us our motives and show us where we stand in light of eternity. God, I pray that you would show us where we can grow if we're believers. That show us how we can look more uh, like your son Jesus. God, would you unstop our ears and help us to be able to see clearly that we may reflect your glory every day. God, help us in our groups that you would use what's talked about tonight to challenge us to to apply these things to our life or to be honest in our group with, you know, I'm not sure where I'm at and I'm not sure what's going on. God, would you help tonight to be fruitful for your purposes? Not my purpose, not not our leader's purposes, but for your purpose. And that you would be glorified tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Jesus gives us this picture of the vine, of the vine. What is he talking about when he's talking about the vine? Anybody have any ideas? Specific kind of vine, any ideas? Go ahead. He's talking about the body of Christ when we talk about... uh, when we talk about the, the vine in other, other spots, but this is specifically, I'm talking about, what, do you, what is he talking about? He's painting a picture about a vine. What is he, what, what's that picture supposed to be talking about? Grapevine, thank you. It's a grapevine. It's a grapevine. Now, if any of you have read your Old Testament, it's almost never a good thing when a prophet or when somebody else brings up this picture of a vine. You know Why? He's usually talking to the Israelites, and almost always the next line is, and I'm going to toss you in the fire and burn you. Because he's angry, he's jealous that they have been living for other idols, they've been filling their lives with other gods. (laughs) So it's interesting that Jesus would, would bring this picture in here, but he uses it a very different way. He actually adds some layers to this picture that we don't really see before now. Previously, the vine was always Israel, but now the vine is Jesus. And where the people were the vine, now us, the people, are branches. So historically, people would be afraid when they start talking about a vine. But right now, they're, they're trying to figure out what is going on here. Jesus is talking about this picture of a vine. It's almost always been bad but he's, he's doing something different here. 
And so tonight what I'm going to try to do with you is we're, we're going to, number one, try to uh, define what, what Jesus is trying to communicate through this idea of abiding. And then we're going to also look at two more realities that we see right here in the text. One that is specific to abiding, but then one is specific to those who are not. So when you hear the word abide, help me out a little bit, guys. What, what do you think that might mean? Abide. What does that word mean? You don't have to even say what it means here in the text, but what does the word abide mean? I know we use it all the time in regular language, right? Go ahead. To live, okay. Anybody other ideas? To live, it's a good one. To continue in, good. To obey, to remain, good. Those are great. Go ahead. To trust. Okay, good. The word abide, kind of just the dictionary, is to, is to remain in, to stay tied to, or to accept. So depending on the context and where it's used and how it's used, it can mean a number of different things. But today, and I think when we look at God's word, definition that I've kind of come up with from a couple of different kind of just thinking about it and and hearing other people talk about it. Uh, The definition for abide that we're going to operate off of and then I'll talk to you about it is to abide in Christ is to enjoy and live in light of the riches that you have in Christ. Let me say that again. To enjoy and live in light of the riches you have in Christ. So what I want to do is just I want to walk through this this passage with a couple of verses where we see three specific ways that abiding kind of plays out in the life of a Christian. I can't do everything that I want to do from this text. I told my leaders, uh, there are some texts where you you get in it and you're like, I can do this in one sermon. That's all I need. We're done. But as I work through this, I mean, it could have been four and five and six. We could take a whole semester to talk about abiding in Christ and take it a verse at a time and just unpack it. And we just, we just don't have the time to do that. But so we're going to talk about three specific ways that abiding plays out uh, in the life of a believer. Okay? In the life of a believer. The first one we see in verse seven. We abide in the Lord when we relate to him in prayer. Okay? We abide in the Lord as we relate to him in prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So abiding, as we, as we think about it, for a Christian, one of the ways that we get to, to abide in Christ is we get to pray. We get to have that relationship with God. We talked about last week how important the gospel is and, and the beauty of, of, of now that we get Christ and we get his righteousness and we get the Holy Spirit living in us. We're operating out of everything we talked about last week and, and just putting some flesh on that. But one way we get the, the wonderful opportunity to abide or to remain or to dwell in Christ is through prayer. Why do you think that is? 
Why is prayer a way that we get to abide, we get to remain, we get to enjoy the riches of Christ and what he's done? Communication, it's talking with our God. What else? Anybody else? Yeah, so it's, it's not just talking, it's not just communicating, but we're actually building a relationship with our God. Building a relationship that we now get because Christ lives in us and he is our great high priest. He intercedes with all those things we talk about for us. It's really interesting if you look at this. It says, if you abide in me, so if you remain in me, if you drink in all that I've done for you, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. It's a pretty, uh, pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Through prayer, we get to build this great relationship with the Lord. <laughs> this is one area that I've been uh, personally convicted of, uh, that I, uh, I'm not a very good prayer. And by, by good, I don't mean uh, I don't ever stumble over my words or things like that. I, but what I mean by that is uh, prayer is not often my first instinct in a moment of need. Uh, one of the one of the problems that I have is I think I can do everything on my own. I think I, uh, a problem is, it comes to me whether it's whether I'm pre- getting ready to preach a sermon or, or uh, something at my house, whether it's with my wife or my kids or even our finances. One of the first instincts that I have is, all right, let's get some paper out. We're going to figure this thing out. Or I'm just going to get to work. I'll, I will fix this. Um, a, few, a few weeks ago, well actually it was probably about two months ago, uh, we decided to sell my, our old beater of a car uh, and start shopping for a new car. Well, not new, new to us car. And uh, started shopping, trying to figure out what I was going to do, what I was going to buy. I'm thinking about heading to seminary here in the next couple of years, so I might be driving to Louisville quite often. So I was looking for something with good gas mileage, trying to figure out what can I get that would you know, maybe save us some money there. And so I settled on, on a, getting, getting a hybrid. So I started looking at the Honda hybrids and looking at the Toyota hybrids, just something that would get me some great gas mileage. And after I was doing some research, uh, I decided not to go with anything from Honda. I decided to look for a Prius. Um, so I started shopping around, and there's really not a whole lot of good deals on Priuses. They just seem to run forever, uh, and nobody wants to sell them until they've got like 200,000 miles on them. And I wasn't looking to get something that uh, had already lived its life. <laughs> I needed something that had some life left in it. Uh, so I was doing s- some, some shopping, and uh, I found this Prius uh, up in Loveland. It was, a, it was somebody, somebody was selling this Prius. Uh, it wasn't like a dealer. It was just a, a private party. And so we started talking, kind of going back and forth on cost and price. And uh, we finally settled on a price. And we had to work through some details of they still owed money and I don't need to go through all the details. But what ended up happening is we'd agreed on a price. I had pulled some money out of some places that I had it invested and I was pulling out so I could uh, purchase the car so that I could get the financing later. But what, what happened was I made all these moves. They went to try to get the title taken care of so that I could sign it. It could be mine. And 
the bank that they were using, it, it took them like a month and a half to get this figured out. And so I'm, I'm sitting here. We had sold our car. We, we had our minivan, and that was it. And I was trying to figure out, well, I got to do this, and I got to drop them off here, and I got to drop them off here. And, well, what if, what if the title doesn't work? What if it's a problem? Well, I've moved all my money out of these investments, and I got to get them back in within 60 days. And uh, all these things that I was thinking about and started worrying about. And uh, I remember it was a month into us waiting. It was a, literally, I, it was a month in to us waiting on the car, me getting frustrated. And I was reading this book called The Praying Life, which is, if you've not read it, uh, best book I've ever read on prayer. If you've not read it, read it. But I was reading this book, and, he, and I, God just hit me like a Mack truck. Why haven't you prayed about this? Why haven't you even talked to me about this? You've been calling your friends who understand financing and buying cars. You've been calling the bank to try to figure things out. You've been Googling things online to try to figure things out. But not once have you come to your father and asked him to work this out. In a very practical way, I was not abiding in Christ. In a very practical way, I was abiding in myself, trying to do whatever I could to make things happen. We get to abide in the Lord as we relate to him and build relationship with him through prayer. We also abide in Christ as we dwell on and experience the love of Christ. Let me say that again. We, we, we get to abide in Christ as we dwell. So what I mean by that is think about, rehearse, chew on the love of Christ. Look at verse 9 in your, uh, in your Bibles with me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. First time I read this, as I was preparing this time, I read right through that line and it didn't, didn't stick out to me. But as I kept, kept reading, I got, I got stuck on this phrase because it's, I think we read right through some stuff in, in God's word and we don't just sit and think about it. But, but it says specifically, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's Jesus talking about the Father. That's God talking about his infinite love for his son. Infinite. You can't count it. You can't measure it. There's no way to fathom it. It says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's huge. That's huge. When do you wake up in the morning thinking about that? Thinking about the great love that you've received with, from Christ being the same as that infinite love between God and his son in the Trinity. What are some things, what, is, no, let's, what are some people that you love in your life? I'll start. I love my wife. I love my kids. Who do you guys love? Best friends. Oh, look at Sandra. She's all like, yeah. Ben. Okay. Your brother. Anybody else got people they love in their life? Best friend. 
Cousins? Danny Ray? My parents? I was hoping we would get there without me having to prod anybody. I was hoping we would get there. Thank you. Thank you, Allie. You made it on video. Taco Bell. Taco Bell. That's not really a person, but we can go with that. I love me some taco smell. Yes. Okay. You guys, maybe some of you love your, your pets, dog, cats. I just want to be honest with you. Whatever it is in you li- your life, whoever it is that you love more than anything, it pales in comparison to the love that, the, that God loved his son and the love that comes from his son to you if you were in Christ. Pales in comparison. And we see that on the cross talked about it last week. We see that great love in which God sent his son and his son loved us so much that he lived a perfect life. He died a horrific death. Bore all the wrath of God for all of the sins of those who would believe in him. That love is what you get as a believer. So when we talk about abiding, we get to dwell on that. We get to think about that. We get to experience that great love. It's a big deal. If you would just wake up once a week and think about this, you would live differently. If you would wake up and before you think about all the homework you have to do, or all the people you want to see, or the Twitter you got you've got to deal with the things you got to deal with on Twitter, or the things you got to deal with on Facebook, or the or the the book you want to read, or the game you want to play. If you would just sit and think about the love in which you've been given through the cross, you would live differently. That is the love we've been given. We abide as we think about that, and as we rejoice in the gospel, as we rejoice in that love. We also abide in Christ through obedience. Say, Ryan, why we gotta go there? Obedience. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We prove our abiding through our obedience. Now I'm not just trying to talk about moralism, just trying to just trying to do right, just trying to do I just gotta be at church because then God won't love me. I just got that's not what I'm talking about. But if you're abiding in the love of Christ, if you're abiding in Christ, what actually comes from your life is obedience. Because you understand the great gift you've been given. Obedience. So this leads me to really the first uh, idea, not, not quite... A, defining abide, but, but this first idea that I just want to unpack a little bit more is that if you're abiding, 
So if we're understanding what abiding means, if we're, if we're dwelling in, remaining in, enjoying the riches of Christ, if you're a Christian, apart from Christ, you can't do anything. And I mean anything. You cannot do anything. If you look at verse 4 and 5, so we're going to actually back up now. Now that we've kind of laid a little bit of a found work for abide, we're going to back up a little bit and look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is my little vine here. It's not a grapevine. It won't bear fruit. But it is a viney-looking plant. So that's what we're rolling with, all right? Now, there are some places here that... I had to do this before my wife got to it because she normally is going to deal with it. <laughs> but there are some places here where stuff is withering and dead. There are places where the leaves are growing really nice. They're, they're fed well, they're connected to the main plant, and they're growing well. But then there are pieces where I'll, oh, right here, perfect. There's this piece that had just fallen off, was completely disconnected from the plant. So when we say apart from Christ, we can do nothing, we're just like this little piece of dead leaf. It cannot grow. I can't plant it and make a new plant. It is dead. Will not produce anything good. It's dead. It is impossible for you as a Christian to bear fruit without Christ. So if you have Christ, you bear fruit. What do you think are some good examples of God honoring fruit in the life of a believer? Just shout them out to me. Joy, Joy. good. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Compassion. Loving. Keep them coming. Caring. Patience. Self-control. Peace. Kindness, oh, here we go, peace, kindness. <laughs> Those are great. Those are all what we would call fruit. Those are all what we would call fruit. But in this text, Christ is telling you, if you're a believer, you can't do that if you're not abiding in me. And honestly, it's a bigger picture. It's actually saying, uh, I think it's more specifically to Non-believers, it's saying you have no ability to please God without Christ. You have zero ability to please God without Christ. Because your identity is in Christ, God cares so much for you and for the fruit in your life that he not only is telling you abide in Christ so you can get it, but if we'll back up a few more verses, he says something even more important. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. 
what does it mean to prune something? Not the fruit. What does it mean to prune something? Yeah. Yeah, so you cut away things that are unnecessary. Good. You cut away anything that is unnecessary or undesirable. So, for example, when my wife gets to the plant before I do, which is almost always, she starts pulling off all these dead-looking things so that all the energy and growth goes to the healthy stuff. But then there's also these leaves that'll grow, and they'll be healthy, but there'll be a little growth off them, so she'll clean it off so it continues to grow. So we see if Jesus is the vine... God is the vine dresser, and then it says God prunes those he sees fruit in so their fruit will increase. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. Pruning in our life hurts. Pruning stinks. What would make something in your life, by definition of prune, undesirable or unimportant? Not, I'm not asking for something specific. I'm asking what makes it undesirable. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Okay, it's not pleasing to God. Anybody else got anything else? Brings down the quality of your fruit. Good. Mm, hurtful to the plant or to the fruit. Anything that does not aid in the process of growing fruit needs to be pruned. And God says he, is, he loves you enough to take part in that process. Whether you like it or not, this may hurt a little bit, but some of the people in your life that God places to help prune you Maybe the most impactful people in your life are your parents. God has given you the parents that you have. And God uses them often in our lives to prune us. Now, very rarely do we like it. Very rarely do we enjoy it. But what's the end goal, guys? An increase in fruit. Not an increase of just good things, but an increase in our ability to glorify God. What do you think that would be in our lives? Things that need to be pruned away. Maybe sometimes some of our friends. Great. Come on, get specific with me. Idols. Anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. An idol. Pride. And once you throw the term out of idol out there, it's like that's everything, so we're done. <laughs> you guys, we have to understand this. And I, and I know it's not easy, and uh, I wish I had some more time, and we're going to talk about it actually next week a little bit more. But fruit is an indicator of, your, of who you are in Christ. Lack of fruit 
asks big questions of you. There's no fruit you have to ask, are you even in Christ? You've got to. And people that love you will ask you that question. But if you're bearing fruit and you're abiding in Christ, you're still going to be pruned by the Lord. It's because his goal for you was never your happiness. It was always your holiness. Always. So things get tough in your life. God is most often trying to prune you so that you can display fruit to the world and honor the Lord. So that you can walk into your school when things are hard in your life and you can put the gospel on display. You can put Jesus on display because you know he's working in your life. Because you're enjoying the riches of Christ. You're abiding in Christ. The last thing I want to talk about before we finish up is, is this. We also see here in this text the scary realization that there are some people who are not going to be a part of the vine. If you look at verse 2 and then skip to verse 6. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Or verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like, branch and, like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Friends, I hope you were here this morning and got to hear Pastor Brad talk about the wrath of God. I don't have time to unpack it as much as he did, but if you were not here, you need to go listen to it this week when it's on the website. We are all sinners. We've established that. We establish that regularly. We are all sinners in need of Christ. But Jesus is very clear here. If we don't see fruit, it's probably an indicator that you're not abiding in Christ. And you're probably not abiding in Christ because you're not in Christ. You're not a Christian. Now, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that you know, some of you are struggling in your life at this point in time and you're not seeing a lot of fruit and you're wrestling and just, just trying to figure things out. But let's just be honest. If there's no fruit, what is going on? You have the Holy Spirit living in you if you are in Christ. Not a junior varsity spirit. Not, uh, not the backup QB spirit. You've got the same Holy Spirit that's a part of the Trinity living in you, giving you joy in Christ. But if you do not have that, if there's no fruit in your life, I want to beg you to think deeply about whether you actually are a Christian or not. Abiding in Christ is about way more than just doing spiritual disciplines, although it includes those Abiding in Christ has everything to do with enjoying what you have in Christ and living because of what you have in Christ. Now we can get real specific. That does mean you're, you're in God's word regularly because you drink it up because you need it. It does mean you're praying. It does mean you're growing in holiness. It does mean you're becoming more like Jesus. Let me give it to you kind of in a word picture here. 
Um, has anybody ever been in a sailboat or something that only goes because of wind, not because of an engine? Okay. So my, my son and I, Daniel, we just finished the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. We just read through that. And uh, it's so funny as we read through that, you know, there's all kinds of terms in there. He has no idea what we're talking about. So every time I say poop deck, he laughs. Uh, and I have to explain, no, it's just the side of the boat. And he, every time, it doesn't matter. He's like, <coughs> he just snickering next to me. Um, but the voyage, in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, the boat only goes, except for the very end of the book, which we're not going to talk about, it only goes if there's wind in the sails, right? So let's picture yourself as the boat. You're the boat. Uh, when you're abiding in Christ, when you're practicing some of these things that help you abide in Christ, it's like throwing the sails up, okay? It's like opening up the sails. But the sails in and of themselves don't make you go. But God is the wind that blows and moves the boat. So when you open up the sails, you're putting yourself in, in, in the way of God, in a good way. You're catching all the work that God is doing. You're putting up the sails so that you can move forward and you can honor the Lord. But if you're not abiding in Christ, if you're not dwelling on the riches you have in Christ, if you're not enjoying and drinking in all that he's done for you, all the love that's been passed on from the Father through Jesus to you, it's like you're sitting in the ocean without any oars, hoping the wind's going to blow. But very often you're just going to sit and you're going to die before you reach land and can get more provisions. But if you would throw those sails open, and that could be getting into God's word, praying, making sure you've got good friends around you, thinking about the gospel regularly. There's so many things that entail abiding in Christ. I can't define every nuance of it. But if you just open your, open your sails and let God work in your life and work in you, you will bear fruit you will honor the Lord, and you'll be living out your created identity as dependent, accountable for the glory of God and in the image of God. So I've got four questions for you. I'm going to give you guys some journal time. I haven't done this in a while, partially because we've run out of time. Do we have those questions? Oh, we do. Sweet. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get off the stage here. I'll give you guys a few moments to look over those questions. And then I, I want you guys to journal. Uh, no cameras yet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, what I want you to do is just sit, some sit and take some time to think. We don't think deeply enough, regularly enough, about the things of God or about life or about anything. So I'm going to give you guys some time. I'll come back up and pray for you and dismiss you when we're done. But here's your questions. How do you know if you're abiding in Christ? What fruit can be seen in your life? And what are some things that need to be pruned away in your life? And what is one practical step you want to take this week to abide more in Christ? And now if these questions are not applicable to you, and what I mean by that, if you don't think you're a believer, just spend some time thinking about that reality 
that if you're not a believer in Christ, there's an eternity for you that nobody wishes on you. The wrath of God for eternity. If you want to talk about that more later tonight, grab me, I'd be happy to. But take some time uh, to spend some time in your journals.